I wanted to have a word of prayer uh, this morning. And remember, just a reminder that we're reading through the book of Genesis. So today you should be in chapter 2. And if you're not, there's grace. You get five free days in the month of uh, June. So you uh, stick with it, and I'll stick with it with the help of the Lord. Any questions you have or any comments you want to make, I gave you my email. I had a couple of people uh, ask me for my email again, so I'm going to give it to you right now because they left out the most important part of the email address, and that's hog. <laughs> but um, let me give you the email address in case you need it um, and you want to make any comments. It's T is in Tiger, Blunt, B-L-O-U-N-T, Hog, H-O-G at AOL.com. Um, and then also, if you wanted to text me, my, my telephone number is uh, 937-7600. So you can text me anytime. And I've had people do that and just ask questions about Genesis or just make comments. It's been great. I think it's healthy for us as a body uh, to do that together. And so uh, we just pray for that endeavor and what God would do in each of our lives. All right? Let's have a word of prayer. So, Lord, um, we just want to be led by you, by your spirit. Thank you for not leaving us by ourselves. Thank you that, um, I guess I, I just can't thank you enough for the spirit of God that indwells me, that guides me in, into all truth. can't imagine what it must have been like for those disciples to hear in those last hours that uh, where you were going, they couldn't come now, but you promise not to leave them alone. You promise them a helper. And we know who that helper is. It's the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And I just, I just want to thank you for the Spirit of God that resides in us. We want to live for your glory. I pray that's true. Um, I just want to thank you so much for um, just who you are. As we studied last week, you're holy, holy, holy. And there's no one like you. And this morning, Lord, we just commit the service to you and we pray that everything that's done Everything that's said would, would honor you. And Lord, just help us. We need help to remove all those things that are in our minds that have nothing to do with why we're here. So help us to um, really concentrate on worshiping you this morning. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Um, you know, there's lots of names for our Lord in the Bible, and uh, but two of them we're going to sing about in this song right here as we worship together is wonderful. He's wonderful God. He's a wonderful Savior, and He's a merciful Savior. Uh, we know what the mercy is when we think about where we were, and then because of what He has done, now we are where we are, and we're here together, and we want to worship Him this morning. So let's all stand, and let's just sing through some of these songs together, and let's just worship the Lord together, maybe. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of man? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. 
is counselor. Counselor, comforter, keeper, spirit we long to embrace. You offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost the way. Oh, we hopelessly lost the way. You are the one we praise, Lord. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace. Our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger. the Lord. Almighty, infinite Father, faithful, he loving your own. Here in our weakness you find us falling before your throne. Oh, we're falling before your throne. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace. Our hearts always Knowing not it was for me, he died on Calvary. 
was great and grace was free. Pardon, there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty at Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I spurned till my guilty soul and grace was free pardon there was multiplied to me there my burden so found liberty at Calvary now I've been to Jesus every heavy now I gladly own him as my king now my raptured soul can only sing was multiplied to me, there my burden so found liberty at Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan, oh, the grace that brought it down to man, oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at how great he is. Great is the Lord. He is holy and just. By his power, we trust in his love. Let's sing that together. Great is the Lord. He is holy and just. By his power, we trust in his love. Great is the Lord. He is faithful and true. By his power, we trust in his love. Great is the Lord and worthy of glory. Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. Great is the Lord. I lift up my voice. Now lift up my voice. Great is the the Lord is faithful and true by his love he proves his love's my bad great is the Lord and worthy of glory great is the Lord and worthy of praise great is the Lord now lift up your voice now lift up your voice Oh, 
sing, How great are you, Lord. Sing, Great are you, Lord, and worthy. Sing to the Lord. Great are you, Lord, and worthy of praise. Great are you, Lord. I lift. God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I have seen the pace of your life, the stress, the anxiety, the constant movement, rushing from one place to the next, chasing after your desires, or running from your fears. I see how you struggle, striving to meet your needs all on your own. I see the burdens placed upon you burdens you place upon yourself. In the midst of this chaos and hurry, I am calling out to you to slow down. Be still and know that I am God. It is I who set the earth in motion. It is I who sustains you, protects you, and provides for your needs. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. For I will never leave you. Let your soul find rest in me. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For neither death nor life, the present nor the future, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from my love. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Thank you. 
thing to know that how you being the wonderful God, the most merciful God, that we can in this life of so much hustle and bustle and so many things going on and we're running here and there, we have so many distractions in our life that distract us from who you are, but to know that in all the trials and tribulations that every one of us go through, Father, we know that we can say it is well. It is well because you are in control of all things, and we trust you. Lord, the little part in that song where it says, the winds and waves still know your name. Oh, God, I think of the time when your disciples were, and you and the disciples were in the boat, and the storms were raging. And oh, God, it was a terrible time for them, but Father, the fact that you were there, Jesus, you were there in the boat caused them to need to say it as well. But they learned that day that you, you could control the winds and the waves, that they still know who you are. And Lord, we can say today, it is well with our souls. So, Lord, we thank you. And that's the reason why we've come to worship you this morning, God. You're such a wonderful, merciful, glorious God. And we just want to give this time, this time of worship that we've given to you in song. God, I pray for that as he brings the message today, Lord, the, the words that you have given him to say to us, Lord, I just pray that the Spirit of God would move upon us today, open our hearts, help us to learn, and help us to walk when we are outside these doors. Lord, thank you again for this time. These things we pray in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. As you're turning there, we don't want to neglect to remember to pray for the students that are on their way to Colorado. I think they've made the first leg and are on the second leg of that flight. And um, pray for the youth leaders. That's a lot of students to collect. And that's what you do with students. You collect them. So we, uh, we need to pray for those guys. And pray that um, the Lord will use this time in the life of those students to grow them in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as you looked at that video, life is kind of like that. It's really, really busy. And how often have, as you've gotten older, have you been reminded by the Lord it'd be a good thing to slow down and consider me? <laughs> um, we need to give more consideration to the Lord. And I think in this passage this morning, that's what uh, the author intends that the church of Ephesus would do. Um, in order to gain, I think, a really appreciation for what Paul is telling Timothy, um, we need to understand the context. And um, to understand that, we have to understand um, 
at the end of chapter two, or at the end of chapter three, what he writes to uh, Timothy. You know, sometimes you can read through a letter and um, you want to kind of go to the end. You know, you start in the beginning, you want to go, where's all the good stuff? And it's the, the stuff in the middle that sometimes gets neglected. Well, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for us, we're not going to neglect the middle today. Uh, I want to show you what um, Paul's intention was as he wrote to Timothy about something very critical to the church. Um, I know you're probably sitting there thinking maybe, where's Jonah? Uh, he's still in the belly. He, he's fine. Um, we'll get him out in a few weeks. But um, I'm going to be on a vacation and then I'm going on a mission trip. And so I, I don't want it just kind of to be one week off and on, off and on. So um, July 14th, we'll see if we can't get Jonah back on dry land. But I want to... Um, deal with a subject this morning that may make us a little uncomfortable if we think of it in the context of how church is always done. But I think if we're open to the Spirit and His leading, we're going to understand that, that um, Paul had a deep concern for the church at, Ephes at Ephesus. Um, specifically, it seems to be in the context of prayer. There's a lot of things that he discusses, but if you look at chapter 3, with me in verse 14, he tells Timothy why he's writing what he's writing. He says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know, now this is very important, how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Now, you say, well, how should one conduct himself? Well, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 1, and you read up to chapter 3, verse 14, he kind of gives to uh, Timothy kind of a, an outline of, uh, this is how the church ought to be conducting itself. This is what ought to be going on. And... Um, we ought to pay attention to it. That's my conclusion. That we should pay attention to what's said here because I think it's really critical to not only us personally, but critical for the body of Christ. Do you understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the body of Christ? The church. Those who are born again. And that's who this message was for. It was for the church at Ephesus. That's where Timothy was. And so Paul wanted them to understand how they should conduct themselves in the household of God. And when we think about that, we typically think, well, this kid ought to behave over here, right? And this kid, this person shouldn't be on their cell phone. We think about conduct like that. But he's not talking about that. He doesn't have, bring up cell phones, and he doesn't bring up how kids act in church. He's talking about our activity. How does this look? How does the structure of the church look? And... Um, what should go on in the church? And so that's what we want to kind of talk about today. And for that, we're going to begin in chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 this morning. I entitled um, the message this morning, Alone in First, because <laughs> there is no rival. Uh, how many of you um, know the results of the spelling bee? There wasn't one alone in first, was there? Eight people. Well, they won 50000 apiece. I'm thinking, give them harder words, 
right? Surely you can come up with just one person that spelled potato exactly right. Uh, well, there is no rival when it comes to this text. It doesn't appear to be. That doesn't mean, and I don't want you to get the wrong impression, that the Word of God is somehow second. Okay? I just think that when Paul's writing to Timothy, it's curious to me that he doesn't mention that like first, second, third, or fourth. He just says first. The word's proton in the Greek. First of all, priority. So as I'm studying, I'm like, oh my goodness. Because you remember the list in Acts when the church began. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, and what? Prayer. Somehow, and I'm not getting on to this, but somehow, I think that prayer's kind of been tucked into the corner. When I was growing up, prayer meeting was every Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night. My mom and dad were faithful to carry their son and their daughter. Every Wednesday night we were in town. Can I tell you, as a kid, I was like, do we have to go to prayer meeting? Of course, you only ask dad once. Somehow, kids ask more nowadays. I asked dad once, and he said, yes. That meant, yes, we're going to prayer meeting. And every Wednesday night, the Blunt family went to prayer meeting. I can't thank him enough for that. Probably hadn't thought about it enough. Because what does prayer do for us? First of all, it says we're dependent on the Lord and him alone. And secondly, wow, what a benefit it is to the body. Have you been in a prayer meeting? You know, people don't come because, well, I want to pray out loud. You don't have to. You don't have to pray out loud. Right? Nobody's asking you, forcing you. I mean, think about the strength of the body is dependent, I think, a lot on prayer and how we come together. And that includes what we do on Sunday morning. So I got thinking this week. I'm like, man, this application is difficult because it means the first thing, the first priority when we come here on Sunday morning, not that we don't hold this up. We're going to hold it up every week and we're going to teach it. But we need the Lord with us. We need to acknowledge him. You say, yeah, Thad, but you're always the one praying. You can pray right where you are. Isn't that great? Nobody's prohibiting that. You can do that. So as I put this together this morning, I wanted to ask the question, what elements of public worship should take priority within the church? I think that's something you can work on this afternoon. Use your Bible, (laughs) by the way. Um, What are those things? seems to be we live in a church culture today uh, that's concerned more about entertainment than anything. How do I get people back in the seats for the next week? What is it that I can say that will keep them with me? <laughs> There's so much temptation when it comes to public speaking because you look at it and you go, well, yeah, but I didn't see them this week. Well, okay, they might be on vacation. But they might be really struggling spiritually. You know, and that's what the, where the body of Christ comes in, right? So we notice those things. We have opportunities to participate constantly in the life of people. Did you know that? And you say, well, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm really kind of, you know, I'm not one of those out front guys. I'm an introvert. Well, that's all right if you're introverted. You don't have to get, talk to 200 people at one time, but you can talk to one. 
You know, you don't always have to know what's going on in that person's life. You can just walk up and say, I'm praying for you. I was thinking about a, a young lady one time that I was praying for in Publix. I told her I was praying for her. I think it scared her. Her name is Faith. Love that name. She worked at Publix, or I think she still does, down there on uh, Springboard Road. And um, she was pregnant. And every time I went in there, uh, she was a little bit bigger. Now, of course, I didn't tell her that. But I remember going through the line one time, and I could just tell she was troubled. I had no idea why. And I'd say, hey, Faith, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I don't know what's going on to her. But as we're going to see this morning, you know, God gives us specific ideas when it comes to prayer. And it's, yeah, it's praying for those in the body of Christ, but it's beyond that. This is, I mean, this has been uh, really good for me. I don't know what it's going to do for you, but I know it's been very good for me. I saw this quote Someone said, the church is never more like the New Testament church than when it is praying. <laughs> you know, and if you study the life of the Apostle Paul, which we're going to do in the fall, um, we're going to look at the prayers of Paul. I mean, those are some, we read one today. And those are some things we can learn from, don't you think? Right? Um, let's look at the text itself. And let's look at the first thing. Notice what he says, chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving, thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority. We'll stop right there. So he says, first of all. I just told you what that word meant. It's the word proton. It means first of all, Priority. So in the context, he's saying, remember, in the context, he's saying, this is how you ought to conduct yourself in the church of God. This is how it ought to go. So first of all, for those people in the church of Ephesus, this is of first importance. I just think we ought to think about how we should adjust, maybe. How do we adjust that? So let me just give you something practical. So first of all, when we gather together, we pray. You say, well, Thad, you do that. I'm talking about you. You say, yeah, but everybody talking out loud, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when I'm praying, you're praying. Right? You're saying, Lord, I'm here today. I want you to lead me by your spirit today. I'm not just here checking a box. I went to church today. But we, you know, we hear it said, I'm here to meet God. Well, you take the Lord wherever you go. Right, So every time we're together as a body, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's Sunday school, whether it's a Awana, the first thing we're doing is saying, Lord, we're depending on you, we're trusting you, we're acknowledging who you are. We're not just meeting. We're not just checking a box. We're saying, Lord, we want you with us. And some may respond to me, well, that not that assumed? Well, we need to say, Lord, we're here. And the Bible says we're two or more gathered. He's here. There's two or more here today. So we need to say, Lord, we need you today. We need you. We need you to teach us by your spirit. We need to acknowledge who you are. So that's the idea, first of all. So Paul tells Timothy, 
that the church is to pray first. I want you to notice something. Notice that Paul doesn't list items in an argument. He doesn't say first, second, third, fourth. He just says first. Priority. He doesn't list items in an argument, but rather emphasizes what is to be above all. Many times prayer seems to be treated as an option and not a command. It's a command. We're going to look at that in just a second. It's a command. Many times prayer seems to be worked into a gathering of believers. You know, it's like, it goes like this. Oh, yeah, we need to pray before we gather. You ever been in that kind of thing? And I'm going to tell you what happens. And this has happened, I don't know how many times. I've heard conversation like this. Well, we're going to have a prayer meeting, but aren't we going to study the word? We're going to have a prayer meeting. Is it okay just to have a prayer meeting? Is it okay just to pray? It is. But our church culture does not look like that. I'm not getting on to this. I'm just throwing out what the Lord's already beat me over the head with. Man, I took a pounding this week. I mean, it's like, what are you doing at Grace? What's the commitment at Grace to prayer? Not only individually, but corporately. See, because we don't go with each other all the time. Aren't you glad? <laughs> We're not with each other 24-7, but how many of you need prayer 24-7? I do. Man, I need the Lord 24-7. You know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'd say let us purpose here at Grace, individually and corporately, to pray first. Let's pray first. You know, one of the greatest examples to me in that was Brian Furpa. I went to Thailand. It was amazing. Everywhere we went. First thing, first thing, listen to me. He took this passage. He studied this before. First thing, we prayed. Everywhere we went. We went to a girl's school. Let's pray. We go and we're sitting and we're doing these little brochure things, trying to hand out stuff. Let's pray. So Paul tells Timothy... Hey, look, first priority is prayer. Second point in here is the apparent urgency. The apparent urgency. Look at this. First of all, then I urge. That word there is a command in the Greek. It's a command. He's not like giving him an option like, hey, if you want to do this in Ephesus, great. If you don't, great. He's saying, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving may be, be made behalf, on behalf of all men. So there's an urgency here. Um, he's commanding Timothy and the church to pray. Um, he's not giving him a suggestion. There's a quote here for you. First, an urgency for the local church is the matter of prayer. That's what we do together. I mean, when the ladies come to Sunday school on Sunday morning, I know they study in Donna's class and, and, and prayer, right? That needs to be there. And, and whatever class it is, college and career, it doesn't matter. High school. You know, one of the worst things we can do is try to live in our own strength. Individually and corporately. We need the Lord. So there's an urgency that Paul has here because he uses that word there uh, in verse 1. And then he, he gives us the kinds of prayers. You could put maybe the scope of prayer, um, the types. Um, the first one he says here, he says, look at verse um, 1. I urge that entreaties be made. 
Entreaties indicates an appeal to the Lord. That's the idea of the word. I'm just giving you an idea of the Greek word. This is what it means. It's an appeal to the Lord for a particular need. Man, we've all done that, right? We've made appeals to the Lord for a particular need, but the body should do that. Right? The body should be engaged in that. Lord, we're coming to you this morning because Vacation Bible School is coming around the corner and there are going to be some kids here exposed to the gospel maybe for the very first time. We're asking you to save some souls, Lord. Anything wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. And that's a specific thing. That's a particular need. There's a need there for people to come to Christ. The idea is bringing a deep and intense burden before the, before the Lord. I, well, when I, when I studied that and, and did that word study, I'm like, wow, Lord, most parents have done that. Hadn't we? In regard to who? Our children. So he gives them the word entreaties. He said entreaties are to be brought before the Lord. Then he says prayers. This word primarily focuses on worship, focuses on worship of the Lord, picturing one at the feet of the Lord. That's the idea here of this word prayers. It focuses on worship. I thought of, of Mary and Martha. You remember that context. And, and Martha's busy serving. Nothing, by the way, nothing wrong with what she was doing. <laughs> um, she's serving. But what's Mary doing? She's sitting there, soaking it up. Okay? So this is the idea that one would worship the Lord through prayer. And so we do that, right? We come to him, we say, Lord, we're thankful for your mercy. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your, for your forgiveness. All these things. We're focusing in on the character of God. I like what Alan Carr says. He says, public worship in prayer is not a personal substitute for private worship. So it's, it's like this. You're not coming Sundays, and I'm not coming Sundays to have my jug filled up and I'm done for the week. <laughs> I'm just starting to fill that jug up, right? I got the whole rest of the week before I come back and I start again. See, that's the idea. So public worship sometimes I think is treated that way. Well, I, I prayed this week. When? At church. What is that? I read my Bible this week. We're at church. No, but it should be this constant desire to be in the presence of the Lord. And one of the th remarkable things about Paul when you consider his prayers is the, the context of where he was so many times. You know, he's in prison and he's thanking the Lord, right? And what do we do? Well, I know I do. Hey, Lord, get me out of this. And you don't see Paul doing that. You see, hey, he's praising the Lord, thanking the Lord, trusting the Lord. Um, kind of outside the box a little bit. Well, then the, the third word's Petitions. Some might have intercessions in your translation. He says, I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Um, the word petitions refers to a bold petition made before God on behalf of someone else. Um, and we'll talk, we're going to come back to these words in just a minute because he, he's about to identify who, these, who we're to pray for. And then the last part of that is thanksgivings. Thanksgivings. Um, Thanksgivings express an attitude of gratefulness. Isn't it amazing when you study the prayer life of Paul that he's doing that, he's grateful even in the circumstances in which he finds himself. Thankfulness can, can and should be expressed even in the midst of conflict and turmoil. 
That's when there's really a test in our lives. Homer Kent writes, No matter what the immediate condition, every believer enjoys many undeserved blessings from the Lord. We agree with that? Undeserved blessings. According to the Bible, he says, Ungratefulness is linked to being unholy. You find that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. As he's describing our present time. People walk around and they're ungrateful and they're unholy. And those are linked in that text, as Homer Kent says. So you have there described the kinds of prayer. But then we come to, to the issue of who in the world should we pray for? You know what's great is Paul tells Timothy who that is. He says, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. And when you do a study of that uh, phrase, this doesn't necessarily refer to every person on the planet. That is, nothing wrong with praying for every person on the planet. But in the context of the passage, as he's writing to, to, to Timothy and the church of Ephesus, the idea is praying for all kinds of people. In other words, the people that are around you, whether Jew or Gentile, Greek or uh, slave or free, you're praying for all of them. Does that make sense? In other words, it's intentional. I'm praying with intention with those people that I come into contact daily. So when you go through that grocery line and you begin to develop relationships with those people that wait on you all the time, you're praying for that person. You're in their world, they're in your world. Right? It's a good practice, I promise. Get to know those folks and, and it will change you. Because they're going through life and stuff. Okay? And so the idea of the word is that we're not to just restrict our prayers to the body of Christ. We need to pray for one another. The Bible tells us to do that. But it's beyond that. We're not to restrict it just to the folks inside this building. Um, it's important to understand the word that Paul uses here for, uh, for men. He says, on behalf of all men. The word there is the word anthropos. It's not the word andros. Andros is masculine. He's saying all mankind. Male, female, kids, adults, doesn't matter. All of them. Okay, we need to pray for those people that we come in contact with. And I put this in my notes. Regardless of race, nationality, social status. In other words, pray for everyone you know and for those you see every day. And you're going to really appreciate this when I begin to unfold for you the context and what Paul is asking these guys to do. <laughs> In other words, pray for everyone you know and for those you see every day. That's what I put. You know, one of the greatest illustrations of this that I ever was a part of was when I was at the Olford Center one time and I was uh, there with Dr. Stephen Olford and he was sharing all, man, he had a wealth of wisdom. Um, I can't thank the Lord enough for that man in my life. He gave me some personal time to spend with him. And in one of those meetings that he had with several pastors and missionaries, he looked at us and he says, men, I want you to know that I have a prayer list every day. I'm like, okay. Yeah, because listen, when you go and you're listening to some great preacher or teacher, what do you want him to do? Preach and teach. He says, men, I want to tell you every single morning I have a list that I, of people I'm praying for. And at the time he shared one illustration. He said, every single day after I met this man, I pray for his salvation. And we're like, well, who is it? He said, I met Tiger Woods. And every single day I pray for that man's salvation. He said, can you imagine what could be done in the body of Christ 
and for the glory of the Lord if that man got saved. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, thank you for that slap in the face. Because he's not one of my favorite golfers. But we don't say, Lord, I'm not going to pray for that person because I don't like him on the golf course. They need the Lord. It was a great lesson for me. Um, so notice what he says. So all mankind, but then he says, for kings and all who are in authority. <whistles> okay. So in context, who was the emperor in Rome at the time? Class? His name starts with an N. Very good, Nero. He's a great guy. I mean, when you're looking at this context and, and, and Paul saying, look, this is who you need to be praying for, you're like, huh? I have a description of Nero. Now, this is a summary of his, his life, some of the things that he did. Um, he was described by many as a cruel tyrant. You might say, well, how cruel? Well, he would murder his first wife and his mother. And we sitting there, and we, in our minds, we're going, how do you do that? Well, when you are so consumed with self and so consumed with authority and everybody get out of my way, which that was his mindset, and he felt threatened, especially if you read history by, by his mother. So do away with those people that are a threat. <laughs> we watch too many television shows where that happens, right? And somebody's a threat and they get rid of them. Well, this is real life. He got rid of his mother and his wife, first wife. A man who was known for brutally, for, uh, brutally uh, for, excuse me, for arresting and killing Christians simply out of hatred. You know, he blamed them for the fire in Rome. And this is what historians uh, describe, this is the way historians describe his actions toward Christians. One author wrote, he covered them with the skins of beasts, after which they were thrown into an arena and they were torn limb from limb. And then he would also use Christians as human torches in his gardens. So, in other words, he would have a party or whatever he was doing in his gardens and he would simply walk around the gardens and get a whole lot of um, thrill out of seeing Christians being used as torches. That's the guy we're praying for? That's the guy Paul says pray for. So, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about our president. It doesn't matter who the president is. We have a responsibility to pray for the president. Very clear from the scripture. That we pray for kings and all those in authority. So everyone there on Capitol Hill, we're praying for those people. Because their actions affect us. Someone may say, well, I don't like this president. 
mean, do you think those guys in Ephesus were going, Nero? Doesn't matter who the president is, we have the responsibility to pray for him. You know, I'm sure many of you are aware of what um, Franklin Graham called for today. How many of you are familiar with that? Yeah, see, I knew you would be. And really, that's kind of how this thing got going. I, I saw it, and um, I read a little bit, and I listened to an interview that he had. And um, I'm like, you know, he's really concerned for our country and for those that lead us. And it's not that Franklin Graham said, hey, let's pray for the president. It's that the Lord's already given instruction that we should do so. Right? I mean, I'm glad Franklin Graham wants to do that. That's great. And there are pastors all over the United States today that are doing that, but we're not doing it because Franklin Graham said doing it, do it. We're doing it because God said do it. God said pray for our presidents. You know what's missing out of this? You're reading it and you're going, well, he tells us to pray. He tells us how we're to do that. He says we're to pray on behalf of all men and for kings and all those in authority. But do you notice what's missing? How should we pray for them? What are the specifics? What are they? Class, what are they? You know why I think it's left out? I don't know this to be true. This is just an opinion. But believers are led by who? Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God puts on our hearts and our minds the things we need to pray about. What do we need to pray for our president about? First and foremost, salvation. He needs the Lord. He needs to be led by the Spirit. He needs all the Lord. We're praying that our president, if he is not saved, that he would get saved. Is that important? Yes. Thank the Lord for Vice President Pence. A man who's not afraid to stand on what he believes. But we're praying for all those senators. All of them. We won't go into their names. All of them. Some of them know the Lord. Some of them need the Lord. You remember the picture after 9-11, right? That picture there on the steps and all of them calling out to the Lord. Now, I don't know which Lord they were calling out to, but you know what? We know they need to call out to the one and living God. We know that. See, the church is already doing that, but we need them to do that. We need them. And I think this, we have to be really careful you know, we're praying that for our president and our vice president and for our congressmen, all those guys, senators, House of Representatives, all those people, judicial branch. If they're not being led by the Lord, right, what do you expect them or how do you expect them to behave? like they don't know the Lord. And so the greatest request is praying for their salvation. And so when Paul tells Timothy, he says here, this is what ought to be the activity in the church. 
He says, I urge that in trees and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings. So we go back to those words. Be made on behalf of all mankind. And so we can be specific when it comes to the church. There are specific things that we can pray for and ask for. But those words that we defined earlier, they come into play when we talk about praying for all mankind and for kings and all those in authority. So we're praying for specific things. Lord, we pray that your man would be elected in 2020. You say, well, we hope it's this person. Well, it may not be. Do we still trust the Lord? Yeah, we do. He puts them on and he takes them off. So we don't need to lose sight of that. So we need to be in prayer for those that lead us in our country. That's very important. Now, it's interesting, though, that Timothy does close the section, or Paul does close the section by giving Timothy the why. Why should the church pray for all mankind and for those that are kings and are in authority? And he gives two reasons, and I give them to you here. I didn't have room on the notes to give you everything, so I'm going to leave that up for a minute or two. But notice what he says here. He says, for kings and all who are in authority, so that. There's a reason we do this. And it's for our benefit. First of all, notice what he says. Verse 3, or verse 2. He says, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Hey, that sounds good, doesn't it? You like tranquil and quiet? Yes, you do. Shake your head. Yes, you do. Who does not? I mean, I love peace. How about you? You like peace? Well, Paul links peace and tranquility to doing this. Look what he says. For kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So I define these words for you. The word tranquil, tranquil or peaceful refers to a life free from outward disturbance. In other words, outside. <laughs> Is there outside disturbance in our world? Class? <laughs> Lots of it. All right? And then he says, not only peaceful or tranquil, but he says the word, he used the word quiet. The word quiet refers to the absence of internal disturbance. In other words, it's a freeing. That's the only way I knew how to summarize it. You're free. You, know, you, you do this, and that's what he's telling them. Hey, Timothy, you guys do this, and you're going to be free. You're going to be free. Because, and this is how you're going to be free. When you're praying for all men and kings and rulers and authority, you know what happens? You're free because you've given it to him. You've laid it at his feet. Not to pick it up again. It's his. That's where the peace comes from. Um, and then he says... So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Notice the word godliness refers to holy living. Describes one's attitude and conduct as measured by God's standard. And then he uses the word dignity to, re to refer to reverence and having moral dignity before men. So it, it's just the, to the benefit of the body. That's what he's saying. This is a benefit to the body when we do these things. And so that's what he's encouraging them to. But then he gives them a second reason. 
Notice verse verse, uh, 3. He says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. In other words, He likes it when we do it. And it's just called obedience. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Look at this. Who desires all men to be saved. That's the desire of our Lord. We learned that in 2 Peter. He desires that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. But are all going to come to the knowledge of the truth? No. But you know what? That's not what we need to be. We don't need to be going out and saying, I don't think you're going to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's not how you witness. You know what you do? You witness. You share the gospel. And you let the Lord work on that person. So he says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So I ask you a question. Just based on this text... What's Paul telling Timothy in relationship to how people in the body of Christ ought to conduct themselves when they come together? Your priority needs to be prayer. That's what he's telling them. And he's saying pray for all mankind. So we pray, listen, within the body, we're praying for every believer. Every believer God brings in our path, we're praying for them. You have people that sometimes they'll just text me, that I'm praying for you today. That's really encouraging you know, a lot, of t- a lot of times those texts hit me when I'm not doing so hot. You ever had that happen? Somebody just texts you and you're like, man, Lord, thank you. There's a story told of five college students. This is interesting. They were spending a Sunday in London. So they went to here. They thought while they were there, they would go to here C.H. Spurgeon preach. That sounds good, doesn't it? And while waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who said, Gentlemen, let me show you around. He asked them if they wanted to see the heating plant of the church. They were not particularly interested because it was a hot day in July. However, not wanting to offend the stranger, they consented to go. The young men were taken down a stairway. A door was quietly opened and their guide whispered, this is our heating plant. In surprise, the students saw approximately 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman turned around and introduced himself to the college students and said, my name is C.H. Spurgeon. Right now where you're sitting, we're going to practice what we just talked about. I figure if Spurgeon kind of I read that story, and I'm like, man, this guy, he understood. And his people understood. And you know why they understood? Because he preached it. The church of the Lord, it's his church, first of all. It belongs to him. But he has given us specific things to follow and do. When I was young, 
I wasn't obedient all the time. And as I'm older, I'm not obedient all the time. So young people, you think one day you're just going to... No. But when you can see it black and white, you go, wow, this is what God wants in His church. I think our responsibility is to respond. So I'm going to ask you, and you can do this however you would like to, if you want to take the person next to you, and, and you, if it's your husband or wife, or if it's a friend, um, I want you to just take three or four minutes and just pray with them. Now let's pray for all mankind. And let's pray for kings and all those in authority. And um, ask the Lord. I know this is different, right? But this is what I see. And I think it's important for us to just do it right here. So I'm not asking you to pray out loud, but I'm asking you to pray with the person next to you. Or if you do not want to do that, you can just simply pray right where you are. And uh, take three or four minutes to do that, and then I'll have a word of prayer.
Lord, we, um, we're going to spend many moments today eating. That's what we do. We need nourishment. And um, I pray we would spend at least that many moments with you just in prayer. Make us uncomfortable in our complacency. Help us to know, Lord, that um, what you've given us in your word is, is helpful. It's what we need. I thank you for a man like Franklin Graham who was willing to step out and listen to his interview. And he's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the importance of our leaders knowing you. Um, I, I truly have a respect for him because he's not just talking about it, he's doing it. And I pray you would help us to be doers. Help us to be engaged with you on a daily basis. Lord, I would confess in my life over the years I haven't prayed enough. I haven't come to you enough. And I pray that, Lord, you would um, continue to work in my heart and my life C.H. Spurgeon knew the importance of prayer. What a powerful testimony. And I pray, Lord, that Grace Community Church would have the testimony of being a praying church. Thank you for everyone who could be here today. Lord, for those who could not, that are traveling, we pray for their safety for refreshment if they're on vacation, for the students if, as they're out in Colorado today, and just for safety there and for a good time of fellowship and growth. And if there are any of those students that need you, we pray for their salvation. I know there's going to be another church with them, and we pray for those students as well, for their leaders, and the same in terms of salvation and spiritual growth. Help us not to be ashamed to follow what your word tells us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. I invite you to sing along with me as we close out today, please. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day.
Was it for crimes that I have done He groaned upon the tree Amazing pity, grace unknown And love beyond degree at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away, is all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. together. Lord, we just want to thank you so much for um, time together uh, as your church, part of your church. Um, we just acknowledge there are so many others around the world today that are meeting that belong to you, and we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that you would protect them, and I especially think of the underground church, and I just pray for them, and as they're persecuted, Lord, for the sake of the gospel, help us to remain faithful and help us to be depending on you uh, 24-7. Help that to um, just uh, look that way in our lives so that we're testimonies to our kids, our grandkids, all those that you put around us. Uh, thank you for our time together today. And uh, we pray all this in the precious name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.